Wednesday through Friday at 5 p.m. only on Community Radio WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Radio by and for the community. WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming live at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. And it's just about one minute before the hour of 4 o'clock. This is Community Radio. Stay tuned for Main Currents with your host, Amy Brown, coming up next. This is Main Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm your host, Amy Brown. Some breaking news before we get started today. Uh, there was a mass shooting this afternoon in San Bernardino, California. According to multiple reports, estimates are that at least 12 people have died and at least 20 were shot. As we go to air, police are still searching for shooters. There is, uh, There are multiple reports that there are between one and three shooters and witnesses have said that they were heavily armed and possibly wearing body armor. There are also reports from the San Bernardino uh, Police Department and public officials that there is a bomb squad on the scene. So we'll uh, watch Twitter and news feeds and keep you up to date on that situation as we go through today's program. But moving on to our primary focus today, while the world focuses on the climate talks in Paris, here in Maine, people are taking things into their own hands, working together with their neighbors to reduce their carbon footprints and influence energy policy. A few weeks ago, uh, here on Maine Currents, we featured the Bangor chapters of 350.org and the Citizens Climate Lobby. And today we'll be talking with members of the Sierra Club of Maine and also taking your calls to hear what you are doing or what you think should be done about this issue. We're inviting listeners to call in anytime to share information or ask questions about climate change. The number in the studio is 469-0500. Well, we've got one phone line tied up with a guest who's going to be with us for the hour, so please be patient and persistent if you get a busy signal the first time you try. Joining us for the full hour today is the director of the main chapter of the Sierra Club, Glenn Brand, reading from his bio on their website. He is a seasoned environmental organizer and activist, proud to serve as the main chapter's first director. Before joining the chapter, he worked for several national and state environmental organizations, including the Maine Conservation Voters, Greenpeace, and the National Sierra Club. During his tenure at the National Sierra Club from 1998 to 2010, he co founded and directed the Cool Cities Program. It's a grassroots campaign helping local communities across the country adopt clean energy solutions. Glenn Brand has been quoted on a variety of environmental issues in state and national media outlets such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Christian Science Monitor, uh, Los Angeles Times, Portland Press Herald, Bangor Daily News, the Discovery Channel, and most importantly, WERU. <laughs> he has been a guest speaker on global warming, energy, land use, and environmental politics at many venues throughout the U.S., as well as Denmark and Brazil. And he is with us now on the phone. Thanks for joining us, Glenn. Thanks very much, Amy. And also throughout the program today, several other members of local uh, climate action teams will be joining us to talk about their work as well. So we'll have uh, different representation from different parts of the state and different aspects of the work the Sierra Club's doing. But Glenn, maybe you could start by giving us an overview of what the main chapter of the Sierra Club is doing to work on the issue of climate change. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for the opportunity. It's a it's a pleasure to be on the phone um, with you. Um, the Sierra, just to make sure that everyone knows what the Sierra Club is, uh, we are the nation's oldest and largest grassroots environmental organization. We started in 1892 um, out in California with John Muir and all that um, uh, legendary uh, founding of that and uh, the establishment of our national park system. Um, but the Sierra Club has more than 60 chapters around the country, and the New England chapter, which Maine was a part of for many years, um, uh, was around in, from the uh, early 70s, and then the Maine chapter formed um, in the uh, early 90s. And um, 
Right now, we have more than 15,000 members and supporters in Maine, and we work on a variety of issues, uh, and climate change is, of course, one of our top priorities, but we're also working diligently to protect uh, Maine woods and Maine wilderness, uh, habitat and species, uh, land conservation issues. Uh, We're also very active on transportation, uh, public transportation in Maine, as well as uh, ocean protection, and uh, I'm glad to talk to to you about all of those things, but uh, I'm pretty happy to talk about the climate action teamwork we're doing, because that's kind of a model that uh, is attracting some attention around the country, not only in Sierra Club circles, but others. And how did the climate action team model come about? What was the impetus for that? Well, it has, has its roots really in the in, in the Cool Cities campaign that I was the director of the National Sierra Club um, in, in 20, what was it, 05, 06 through 2010. Um, and that's, you know, that's that was a program to try to get uh, communities to adopt the U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement, and without getting too much involved in that, what we what we what we did here is adopt that strategy, which is basically to act local while thinking globally uh, in Maine. And um, in its current form, the Climate Action Team uh, program, and the, the acronym is CAT, so I might say I might start saying CAT program. Um, the CAT program really grew out of last year's historic People's Climate March that took place in New York City, and um, it was uh, September of 2014. Uh, there was great enthusiasm uh, uh, surrounding that march. More than 400,000 people showed up. I was there. Um, we chartered six busloads, charter buses, uh, to bring Mainers to the climate march. Um, people really... You know, if if you attended, a, well, I've I've been to a lot of marches and a lot of events like this, but never something that large. And it was really energizing. It was really exciting. I think many people in the climate movement were just delighted to see the diversity of folks there, the range of perspectives, uh, the numbers of people, um, and the you know just the the action that uh, something that we had been working on for so many years was finally reaching a point of critical critical mass. And I think we're, we are seeing that now, and uh, the, we're reaping the benefits of some of that action. But, you know, we, we came back on the bus, people were fired up and ready to go, and then shortly after that, we had the 2014 elections. And those were very disappointing for environmental advocates. You know, we reelected Paula Page, um, and, uh, you know, the, the Senate uh, in, the, in Congress went to a Republican majority, and with today's Republican Party, that's bad news for for action on climate. So rather than, you know, looking to Augusta or Washington, D.C., our strategy was to to do what we uh, we do best, which is to go local. And by that, me, I mean really um, encouraging and supporting local citizens to take action with climate solutions in their own town. And so we launched the... CAT program in December of last year at a conference at Bowdoin University. It was attended by more than 110 climate activists. Many of them had been marchers in, at, in, in New York. And the purpose of it was to highlight what communities in Maine were doing on climate and to have breakout sessions on, on a, a range of issues, which I can talk about in a second, as with the idea that people would go home and organize with their neighbors and replicate those those successes uh, in their hometown. Uh, since then, there are now eight uh, or nine uh, active climate action teams around the state, um, and they're working on a range of issues. And so, let me list some of them so people know what we're talking about. There's been a lot of interest in in developing solar on the local level, and there are a couple ways to do that that the CAT teams are pursuing. For example, in Freeport and Portland, in particular, those cats are working on developing community solar projects, and they've been successful already in in developing three of them. Um, And they're looking to develop at least a couple more in the the pipeline now. And I think in Portland, there's a possibility for even more. Uh, 
Other programs uh, that people are pursuing are solarized programs. Uh, this was a program in which basically it's a bulk purchasing discount program for solar panels. Freeport has been the, the leader in this, and a good website and information on that is uh, Solarized Freeport. Um, other of the cats, uh, for example, our cat in Wiscasset is working on getting the town to install solar panels on municipal buildings, you know, firehouse, city hall, public works buildings, that kind of thing. So there's been this whole sort of solar solution part, which is really exciting. So people, uh, you know, people can sort of watch from afar and gnash their teeth about worsening carbon pollution. Um, but in the meantime, we can we can organize together locally to move forward solutions that help with the larger problem. Uh, of course, we're not pretending that a you know a, a couple of solar installations, no matter how large in Maine, is going to make a global difference. That's not the point. The point is it improves the local community in, in lots of ways uh, and inspires others to do similar action. And that's how we're going to make big change. Uh, eventually, that builds the momentum for state-level action uh, and eventually national and international action the way we're seeing in Paris. Um, I might want to mention a few other of the issues that the cats are working on. Um, yeah, let, Glenn, yeah, let me interrupt you there. We sure. do have Nancy Chandler joining us now, so um, we'll get back to that. And uh, if you're just joining us, is Glenn Brand, who is the director of the main chapter of the Sierra Club. He'll be with us for the hour, and we're inviting you to call in at any time if you have questions at 469-0500. Uh, be patient and try again if you get a busy signal. Right now, both phone lines are tied up, though, because we have Nancy Chandler joining us. She's an organizer with the Phippsburg Cat Group. It's climate action team and uh, is working with Habitat for Humanity with volunteers doing weatherization. So thanks for joining us, Nancy. Hi. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And you and Glenn should be able to hear each other. So if you want to interact and and uh, have a conversation as well, please feel free to jump in, either of you. But Nancy, how did you get involved in this? Um, I uh, built with my husband a solar and wood heated house in Phippsburg in 1980. And I've been active in the Phippsburg community in conservation and solid waste management for several decades. Um, and I uh, enjoy a warm, comfortable house, and I am concerned that my neighbors need to switch to more energy efficiency in their houses. So I approached a Habitat, actually well before the CAT conference at Bowdoin, trying to uh, repeat some solar, some weatherization that I'd done with them five or six years ago in Bath of measuring windows, single-pane windows for uh, window inserts that would reduce airflow through the house and weather-stripping doors and windows and sealing obvious holes in the house structure where water pipes or electricity comes in. And um, I, I've... We've, I got another member of Sierra Club in my town to join me, uh, and we have worked out a contract where, with Habitat where the Phippsburg Cat identifies houses uh, of individual members under $40,000 income a year and uh, does the actual weatherizing but uses Habitat to uh, do the energy evaluation and training and prov- provide material um, for us, which we reimburse them from grants from Sierra Club and from New England Environmental uh, Grassroots Organization. We're a town that relies a lot on fishing and uh, working at Bath Ironworks. A number of people have part-time jobs, and there are a lot of low-income and elderly people in town. So this program will help them to save money, to be more comfortable, and to reduce greenhouse gases in a, in a very small way to keep protecting our fisheries resources. So it sounds like you're definitely relying on local resources, local expertise, and a really customized local solution. What would you advise anybody in other par- parts of the state who might be listening to this and might think that they would like to form their own climate action team. Do you have any advice for folks thinking about that? Sure. I mean, there's mistakes we've made, and there are things that have worked well. Um, talk to as many community leaders as you can. 
to uh, find out what the community needs are. Uh, we use the model of Unity College, uh, Unity uh, using federal money to uh, evaluate heat uh, use, energy use, and waste in their community. And they found, to their amazement, that many people didn't realize how much air was flowing right out of their houses. And they had no idea how inefficient their houses were. Um, what's worked for us is talking to fire department leaders. Uh, the, this town uh, manager has put our information on the front door of the town hall and on their website and had flyers available for people. And when people come in for heating assistance, uh, he will mention our program to them. Um, we have posters around town. But uh, the, the finding actual individuals who are willing to accept this uh, weatherizing program, which is free for them, uh, is, is challenging because people feel like, oh, somebody else needs it more or, or it's, it, I don't, I shouldn't. I should be able to be self-sufficient. Yet it helps the whole community for their houses to be weatherized because they are more financially sound if they can can uh, not have to waste so money, much money and extra heat going out the floors or uninsulated un- walls. And that helps to strengthen the community by being able to purchase more things locally or pay their taxes. And it helps a, in a small way in reducing uh, carbon dioxide into warming the oceans and the, the clam flats where a lot of people make their living and, and reducing the pH changes, too. You so, know, Amy... And, and, yes, Glenn, and, go ahead. You know, I wouldn't want to add to what Nancy's saying. Um, the if, if folks want to find out whether there's an existing climate action team program in their community or they want to go about starting their own, a, a good place to start would be on our website, which is Sierra Club dot org slash main and you'll see our climate action team program on the front page there and you can click to it on that site um, you'll see a number of, of resources and one of them is a document called how to start your own cat um, and so I encourage people to, to look at that I also want to say that the work that Nancy's doing in Phippsburg and that cat is really inspiring for uh, a number of reasons not only is energy efficiency you know critically important to us in Maine and everywhere to, to deal with our energy issues. But the partnership that they form with uh, Habitat for Humanity is really a powerful one. And we're encouraging all of our local teams to form partnerships with, with local community uh, groups and organizations. And that's one of the ones that uh, I'm really proud of. Uh, thank you, Glenn. I, I, I would recommend, indeed, that people talk to the local organizations that are serving people in their community. For example, Habitat has brought in bath housing, which is which helps people with handicap access and making their living space and their entrance ways safer. And two of our houses are getting free services. They happen to be elderly people and ha- both handicapped. In addition, they're getting major improvements to their living situation for free as a result of this three-way cooperative effort. Um, I'd also recommend that people... If you're going to serve a particular population like elders, connect with the churches, uh, the social service agencies, the state agencies, the nonprofits that are serving that same population to find out what the needs are and to use their networks of communication to reach out to the people that might participate in your program. Do you find that it's – do you talk about climate change when you're doing this or do you find that it's helpful sometimes to just leave that term out of it and just focus on the weatherization? I don't unless I really get to know the people because, but I do try to point out that it, they're helping more than just themselves mm-hmm. by doing this. I, I think what we what you need to emphasize is we want to make you warmer, more comfortable, uh, and save you money. And and uh, you deserve this. Those are the, the, the themes that I, mm-hmm. I emphasize early on. And do you think that it's helpful that that's coming from one of their neighbors as opposed to somebody who's representing some government agency? I, I don't call people directly, even if I know of someone who has potentially able to use this program or maybe needs the program. I wait for a ref referral in this town because I, I, um, I think it's more welcome when it comes from an, a relative or a neighbor. So uh, someone and, will hear about it and then they'll refer someone to you. Yes, yes. That's, that's how we're using that approach, and it's slow, but it's going to build over time. We've done three, three houses. I'm hoping for another one this, this fall. And we only really started in, in October, uh, um, and the, the need is huge. Maine has a very poorly insulated 
housing stock and uh, something like 11 on a score of what uh, uh, Vermont has a seven and what we'd like to have would be a three. So so the need is big. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, There are other... uh, um, And... It, the, the people will come as they f- hear about other people benefiting from this. Uh, Great. Well, Nancy, before we let you go, do you have any final thoughts, anything you'd like to tell our listeners about this program or about it, climate change? Sierra Club has been extremely helpful in providing information about how to involve and motivate volunteers to build a, gr- a group. And uh, Joan Sachs has given me materials from the earlier energy, renewable energy education, green sneakers program that Sierra Club did in the Rockland area. So there's inspiration and support and grant writing from, from Andy Bird of the Sierra Club. So it's been a, a, a big team effort beyond our own community, and you'll find that support from Sierra Club. Great. Thank you very much for talking with us today. You're welcome. That's Nancy, Nancy Chandler. She's with the Phippsburg Climate Action Team, or CAT, as we've been abbreviating it. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Maine Currents on WERU. And joining me for the entire hour is the Sierra Club Maine Chapter Director, Glenn Brand. And we have other folks who are involved in the projects working on these CATs who will be joining us throughout the hour. Just to give a quick update before we move on with this issue of climate change that we're talking about today and dealing with it locally, uh, an updated uh, report out of San Bernardino from the shooting there has reduced the number of estimated dead in that shooting to uh, possibly two from previously previous reports that said that there may be as many as 12 people dead. However, the San Bernardino Sheriff's Department um, is obviously busy and they're not keeping things real up to date on their social media. So if we have any further breaking news, we'll let you know. And uh, we have uh, other folks who will be joining us and also in between callers, if you can get through, uh, you're welcome to call and join the conversation at 469-0500. Glenn, we have Marty on the line now, so I'm going to go ahead to Marty real quick and uh, then we'll take a break and get back and pick up where we left off as we were talking. Marty Fox is from the climate action team based in Wiscasset um, called the Wiscasset Sun Cats, and they have a completely different take on the climate action teams. Welcome, Marty. Oh, thank you. So how did you get involved, in, and how did your group decide what to work on? Tell us about the Wiscasset crew. Well, we started uh, here again through the conference in Bowdoin, and uh, they connected the people in Wiscasset area to get together, and we formed a committee. And um, I was chosen as the spokesperson uh, of the group. Uh, we have publicity and finance, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I was able to uh, speak to the selectmen and see what we could do for the municipality to help energy efficiency, et cetera. Um, so what popped up was to try to get solar in Wiscasset because it's on Route 1 and it has a good uh, visibility for promoting solar um, energy. So uh, right now we've uh, had a second presentation. Uh, this power purchase agreement is uh, organized by Revision Energy in order to make the tax credit available for municipalities or nonprofit organizations. Is that the tax credit for them uh, getting reimbursed for some of the installation costs? Uh, Is that how that works? No. um, Basically, it allows them, uh, the town basically leases the system from Revision Energy for six years. So the Revision Energy is able to take advantage of the tax credit and pass it on to the town. So after the six years are up, the town can purchase the the system back for about half the price of what it would have been initially to to um, the initial cost, and uh, the, their estimated savings would be the about uh, five hundred thousand dollars over the lifespan of the system, which is about forty years. Is Wiscasset the first town that's doing that in Maine? No. Uh, there are about uh, a half a dozen, at least a half a dozen different um, municipalities that are doing it, have done it already. And how's it working out? Um, I don't know what their history is. Uh, um, I haven't heard anything negative, any, any negative responses. 
Yeah, I can I can um, tell you brain. that um, there are uh, more than a dozen main communities now that have installed solar panels on municipal buildings. I mean, all over the state. Um, you know, in Belfast, for example, when you come into town, you see what they've done at the fire station there. Uh, you know, Wells has a really impressive array. Um, you know, we have uh, so many towns that are moving forward with this or have plans to move forward on solar installations. It's a really good fit for municipalities because they can, they're ideally positioned to recoup the upfront costs, right? The issue with solar is it's a little expensive upfront, but at the payback period uh, comes, and nowadays that's because solar prices have come down so quickly and uh, so, um, so much. That payback now is, you know, eight, eight, six to eight years, depending on the kind of um, project. And after that, you're talking about free fuel uh, for the duration of the, these panels, which last up to 40 years. So they're ideal for institutions that, um, that, can, uh, that can wait for that payback, and municipalities are ideally suited. Um, the other thing is that they're showing leadership by doing it. You know, these are almost always in highly visible locations. And that's the best possible uh, for our, from our point of view. And that's so there people can take a look at it. You know, in the town of Falmouth, for example, the high school has uh, solar panels, and they're integrating the solar panels um, into some of their uh, academic uh, curriculum. So students have a chance to talk about physics, talk about the environment, talk about energy issues, um, not just from the books, but also by, by um, looking at the uh, panels and seeing how they work on their school. We're also doing that. Uh, actually, it's already installed at Morris Farm on Route 27 in uh, Wiscasset. Uh, they're a nonprofit organization, and they just installed um, solar cells. I believe it's about 40 of them on their, the roof of their barn, and that has visibility from Route 27. So they're able to um, take advantage of the power purchase agreement also. So, Marty Fox, would you have any advice for others who are thinking about either forming a local climate action team or maybe somebody who would like to get their municipality involved in a project like this? Um, I would uh, suggest we spent a little time going through the uh, planning department and if you're going to work with the municipality, either work with the select board or the um, town manager directly. So we wasted a few months doing that. Um, but it, it's worth it to, to be able to bring solar to your uh, town. And this arrangement that you have with Revision Energy, is that something that they commonly do, or is that something that's just specific to the project that you worked on? No, uh, this is common. Uh as Glenn mentioned, there's uh, about a dozen uh, municipalities that have already done this type of uh, arrangement. So, okay, so they're not just doing the solar, they're also doing the same funding kind of mechanism? Correct. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I should just point out that that the, you know, Sierra Club doesn't have any uh, connection with any individual solar installer. Um, basically what happens is that a municipality would go to a request for proposals, a so-called RFP, and then the vendors would bid for the project, and that's how that generally works. All right. Marty, before we let you go, do you have anything that you'd like to add or any uh, thoughts for our listeners? Um, not really. Uh, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work, a lot of uh, effort to keep uh, the ball rolling, so it's uh, basically following up on your ideas and uh, getting things rolling. It sounds like you think it's worth the work that you've put into it, though. Well, as right? long as they approve it and get it going, uh, it was quite a satisfaction. We were able to get a solar farm at Morris Farm in addition to the PPA, which is a separate project. So um, that didn't take as much effort, but um, it's good. Uh, you get good satisfaction out of uh, uh, getting solar going in the community. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Okay.
Thank you very That's much. Marty Thanks, Fox Brian. from the Sierra Club Climate Action Team in Wiscasset. And uh, we'll try to leave the phone lines open for a few minutes and not get the next uh, Climate Action Team person on the line for maybe another five or ten minutes in case anybody's trying to call in. We've had both phone lines tied up. If you'd like to join this conversation on Main Currents, the number is 469 469- 0500. We do have one phone line open now. Again, it's 469-0500. And staying with us through the hour is the director of the main chapter of the Sierra Club, Glenn Brand. Glenn, uh, I think we mentioned Paris, but we haven't really gotten into it very much. And uh, as whenever I hear about these climate talks that draw thousands of people to travel thousands of miles, the question's always raised of whether or not the uh, carbon footprint of that activity is offset by any progress that might be made at the climate talks. And I've seen uh, various numbers online and ways of calculating it. And I know that the sponsoring country is supposed to take into account at least the uh, carbon offset for the official delegates, but was sort of the the impetus or was it any part of the um, uh, the goal in creating these climate action teams to try to keep things local based on the secondary impacts of driving all over the state to go to meetings and organize that way? Well, that's a side benefit. That's not the primary goal. I think, you know, you can, if you, you can pick up from what Marty's saying is that, you know, when you work on these really big issues like, I mean, there's really never been an issue like climate change, exactly, and it is... Um, overwhelming to people, and people can feel powerless to do anything about it. And part of that problem is that you don't know where to begin. And when your state is not taking serious action, as is the case with uh, the Pageville administration, who's actively hostile to moving forward on clean energy, for example, um, and then you look at the hopeless dysfunction in, in D.C., DC, you know, it's easy to succumb to despair. And I think the solution to that is is uh, is to work locally. You have a much better chance of getting something done locally, as you can hear from these examples. Uh, and they're meaningful things. They they actually improve the community. They improve people's lives, and they're your neighbors. And so that's important. Um, it's also important that that we spread these ideas so that we build the kind of constituents constituencies for this kind of these kinds of solutions. And I want to emphasize that you know the, the solution part of it is is key. You know while you know while we have to you know uh, often and you know too often for my own taste we have to fight what would we would regard as negative projects you know dirty energy projects uh, stopping bad things. Um, it feels so much better to tell you the truth. At least I'm speaking for myself and I think a lot of others to work on solutions. And that's what uh, the Climate Action Team is designed to do. It's not really designed to tell you what to work on. It's really to support your own efforts to organize within your community to accomplish the things that we're talking about. And um, I, can, I can already see that these are having impacts beyond the local communities. Hmm. We do have a caller. The caller called 469-0500, and both phone lines are tied up now, but uh, we will take more calls after this caller's done. So if you want to give us a call. Again, four six nine zero five hundred. Go ahead, caller. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Good evening. This is Yo in Tremont. Hey, Yo. I observe that global warming has been changed to climate change because no one knows if it will be warmer or colder. My question is: Do climate action teams want to stop the climate from changing at all, ever? Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Glenn Brand, do you want to address that? No, that's not a serious question. Okay. All right. Um, well, if anybody else would like to call in, the number is 469-0500. I mean, I, should, I, I don't mean to be too um, um, dismissive. However, I've long ago um, stopped uh, wasting time on climate denialism and and that kind of thing. I think there's the there's plenty of legitimate um, uh, debate to be had on how we best respond to the climate crisis, um, and that's where I really, really want to put my energies. So I I no longer really you know entertain uh, 
climate uh, skeptics or denialists. It's, we don't have time for that anymore. Okay. All right. And if anybody else would like to take on that uh, question, would like to call in with a response to that, feel free to give us a call, 469 uh, Back to Paris, or talking about the Paris Climate Talks, though. What would be, as somebody who's working on this issue, what would be a dream scenario coming out of Paris? What would be the ideal outcome from these talks? Well, a small amount of background here. Um, there have been many, many UN climate conferences. And while there has been very, very slow progress, we really haven't done anything in a way of an international scope that would address the scale of the problem. And I think there is a real chance that we will take a big baby step, um, so to speak, in Paris uh, right now. The conference is going on now. It's going to go on for the next couple of weeks. Um, There are nearly 200 countries there. We're talking about heads of states, uh, not just negotiating teams, and that's really new. And they're going to be coming together with already committed uh, emission or pollution reduction targets. And that's very new this time. While there's always discussion of, of what, what those targets should be, this is the first conference where we have all the major uh, polluters, including the United States, coming with a intended emission target. And in the case of the United States, we have not been leading until recently. And the president has put forth a proposal, which is uh, the, the cornerstone of that project, is uh, the so-called Clean Power Plan, which is the very first effort to set carbon standards for power plants in the United States. Uh, first carbon standards ever. And this is a, a groundbreaking change, and this has uh, been approved by the EPA, and now it um, is looking at implementation and trying to beat back attacks from Republican Congress um, to uh, to hurt it. But he's, for the first time, able to take this to an international uh, meeting and say, we are taking uh, specific and real action. Now, the issue here, to be realistic, uh, if all of the pledges come through, and there's verification for all of this, and there's a lot of detail to work out, as one can imagine, it's still not going to be good enough to uh, keep us within the two degree, two degree centigrade um, above pre-industrial levels of carbon target that scientists say that we need to meet to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. We're not going to, you know, we're already suffering from the climate problems of climate disruption and uh, worldwide and here in Maine. And so we're not going to undo that work. The issue here is whether we're going to limit that damage uh, and uh, to human health, safety, property, uh, and our natural environment. Um, so I see the Paris Agreement. I'm hope, uh, realistically hopeful that we will get this first agreement and all of the players will commit to these intended targets. And for the first time, we have China and India on board, for example. That's always been a problem in the past, um, saying that uh, it, this has to be unilateral or it can't just be one one player uh, because others will try to game the system. And those are reasonable objections, I think, generally speaking. So I, I'm, a, I'm not under the illusion that we will we will get there in Paris. But I think we'll take a major step forward, and it will set the stage for tightening uh, and elevating those those carbon um, standards. Uh, but we can't do that unless we get started, and so that's what really what's at stake here. And um, I'm I'm very hopeful that uh, we'll get there. All right, and uh, we may get time have time to get back to the subject of the Paris talks a little bit later in the program. Again, if you're just joining us, this is Maine Currents on WERU. My guest on the phone is Glenn Brand, the director of the Maine chapter of the Sierra Club. We're talking about climate change in general and their program of community uh, climate action teams specifically. And joining us now on the phone is the chair of their climate action team advisory committee, Marion Rubin. Miriam Rubin. Sorry about that, Miriam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, did you hear Glenn say hi? Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've been listening in. We've talked about a few of the climate action teams that are happening, but uh, 
what can you say about how these and I know that Glenn mentioned on your website there are steps for getting started, but for listeners who may or may not go to the website later and look, and maybe somebody listening out there wants to start a local uh, team, how do they get started? One way to get started, which is how a lot of the teams that are working now got started, is to attend the conference that we have coming up on Saturday the 12th at University of Maine and Augusta. Now, this is your second annual conference? Second annual Maine Grassroots Climate Action Conference. That's how I got involved. It was really inspiring to come together with about 100 other people who felt as I did. It's so overwhelming. The scale of the problem is so enormous. You talk about almost 200 countries coming together in Paris, and you think, I'm one person in rural Maine. What can I do? It's hard not to get depressed when you think about the scale of the potential consequences of this problem. But coming together with people, learning skills and approaches and hearing about other people's projects, the best antidote for me to the depression is to actually do something. Even though it's small, the action of doing something then you meet other people who are doing something, and you realize there's really a movement of people who want to do something. That's why the conference in Paris is likely to succeed, because around the world there's an enormous wave of support for taking action. And here in Maine, we can take action, given that it's a small project on a local level. How can you be wrong? Maybe it doesn't affect climate change, but... It has a good local effect. Solar is good. Community gardens are good. Weatherizing homes is good. And coming to that conference is a place that people can really learn techniques. There are breakout sessions on how to get started, community organizing, funding your project, listening to people who are doing work in solar or community gardens. Um, You can find out how they did what they're doing what other people are talking about wanting to do. You can meet other people you might not even know from your community. And right there, two people make a team. (laughs) And that's how you get started. That's like what Nancy said about Pittsburgh. You just figure out who else is doing work or interested in doing work on that little project in your area, and that's how you get started. And so Sierra Club Maine provides all the support for people who maybe have never done any kind of organizing or community project before, we're a phone call away with resources and networking and communication. We help do emails to provide communication support. We have a seed grant program that gave $500 to each of the cats that applied for one. I think we had um, eight $500 grants that went out to help fund the work of the project. So there's tons of support. All you need to have is a little bit of interest. And if you're not an Internet person, um, you can call the Main Sierra Club office and get registered that way. This is coming up on Saturday the 12th in Augusta? Yes. So the and university the cost is $15, which includes a breakfast, light breakfast, and a nice buffet lunch. And it's, just to be clear, it's at uh, Saturday, December 12th. It's an all-day conference. Um, and it's at the University of Maine campus in Augusta. And the, this is the second. The first one last year is where this idea basically was born for the yeah, community? Yeah, we launched it that, there. And uh, just to be clear, people can register for the conference uh, on our website. There's a link to, to the, the conference and how to register. And I think I read that your keynote speaker is going to be Shenna Bellows. Yes. Yeah, we're excited about Shenna, uh, um, who who um, inspired a lot of people with her Senate campaign and her previous work on social justice issues, um, civil rights issues. Um, and she really is a proponent of, um, of our approach. You know, she understands where we're coming from with her, and we share the same commitment to grassroots organizing. So she's inspired uh, by the work we're doing, and in turn, she's inspiring us. All right, so people can get information if you missed that. You can go to the uh, website, sierraclub.org slash Maine, and there's information about the second annual Maine 
Grassroots Climate Action Conference coming up on December 12th. For people who may not make it to that conference, they can go to the website as well and get some ideas for how to start a um, climate action team in their community. What communities in our listening area, which is roughly mid-coast, down-east, Bangor area, uh, already are in existence? And, and are there any in this area that you know of that maybe you're getting some inkling that somebody might want to get one started? Then well, that's it, either you, Glenn, or Miriam, whoever wants to respond to that. I'm, I'm glad to take it a little bit. Miriam, feel free to, to add. Um, the, there are a number of ones in the mid-coast. Um, so uh, there's uh, Phippsburg, there's Brunswick, which is working on, pla- on a plastic bag ban or fee program. Um, yeah, those of us up here consider Brunswick to be like Southern Maine, Midcoast. I, I meant gonna, more like Belfast or Rockland. But I, I realized when I said that <laughs> we uh, fight over that term. Starting one in, in, in Rockland, um, there is uh, there was one meeting of the so far of the Belfast one, so that's a, a fairly new one. Um, there is talk of an MDI one, and um, the the ones that are going on now uh, is Canabunk. Portland, Freeport, Brunswick, Pittsburgh, um, uh, Parsons Field, which is uh, in the New Hampshire border. Um, Miriam, what am I forgetting? Well, that's why we're holding the conference in Augusta, because I think having the conference in Brunswick, we drew a lot of southern Maine folks. So we are specifically reaching out to Mid-Coast by holding the conference further north here. Hmm. And so we've heard of two of the different projects from two of the groups, and um, they are very different. The two groups that we've heard from today, one is working on weatherization down in Phippsburg and West Cassett. They're working on solar on municipal buildings. Are there other focuses for the other groups? What what are people picking to uh, focus on? There's an interesting one in Kennebunk, which started out trying to work with the Rivers groups to remove the last remaining dams on the Wilson River, and that ended up inspiring the Kennebunk Power and Light to look at doing a solar project on an enormous scale. The cat there was originally proposing that they just replace the small, very small amount of power being extracted from the hydro when they pull the dams, replace that with solar, and now they've inspired the municipal officials there to run with looking at a um, I think it's a 2.2 megawatt system. An yeah, enormous generation. Maybe the largest project. in Maine, in fact, uh, if uh, to date. Um, so that's and, a, um, a, a neat kind of synergy where public support, a little bit of nudging, and some good leadership from Kennebunk Power and Light has inspired a whole new level of solar. Others are looking at community solar farms where a group of neighbors, doesn't even have to be direct neighbors, anyone in the CMP billing area that isn't in an area that's appropriate for solar. Maybe you have a home in a historic district or or, um, you live in the woods in the shade, but someone else who has an ideal site for solar can be the site that locates the power for up to nine other partners. So that's called a community solar farm, and that's what Freeport and Portland are looking at. In Brunswick, Glenn mentioned the banning the plastic bag has gained a lot of traction, and that's the project the team there is working on. Another is the part of the field focused on community gardens and growing. There is a pretty good range. Pretty much any project that your local community identifies that has some nexus to clean energy and reducing carbon pollution that would qualify as a focal point for a CAT, a climate action team project. And there's not much that you couldn't do that wouldn't have some nexus in in an environmental kind of deal that would have some nexus to clean energy. Energy is everything. And I I might add that one of the great things about this approach from our point of view, and I think it's being shown in practice, is that every town is different, and so the cat is going to be different, the circumstances, the opportunities. You know, if you're in a community and that's deciding to build a new school, well, that's the time to make sure that that school is super energy efficient and has uh, renewable energy um, uh, on board. 
um, you know, and that's not going to be something that happens in every community. The other communities are are looking. Uh, I know in Buxton, where Miriam uh, lives, uh, that's a community that without any recycling program. So that that's an opportunity there that they're looking into. So it really there's not a one size fits all here. Um, it, it really you know it's up to the cat members to what would be good for our community, what would be a good fit for our community. And we really support that kind of, you know, grassroots, bottom-up work. Marion, before we uh, let you go, I was told to, uh, and by uh, Becky Bartovics, who is another Sierra Club member that I want to uh, thank for helping organize today's show, although she got busy with another meeting and couldn't make it onto the program. She's doing work out in North Haven. Uh, but she said to make sure that you tell your uh, drop-in-the-bucket story. <laughs> That's the short version of that is that I mentioned that it sounds like just a drop in the bucket. When I'm working on improving the recycling here in Buxton, and like I said, the scale of climate disruption is so enormous, what difference does that make? But the story is that I used to live in a place that had a very um, rough plumbing system, and we had a leak under the sink, and there was a bucket that lived under the kitchen sink. And it was pretty easy for us to remember we were in a routine to always check the bucket and keep emptying it. Um, But then we made improvements in our plumbing. So we actually had more conventional indoor plumbing, and we got a little slack on checking the bucket. You know, we we, we did the plumbing, but we still had that pesky little leak under the sink. And so I learned the hard way that even though something is just dropped in the bucket, eventually the drops fill the bucket and it does overflow. It's hmm. a good metaphor. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to put out there for our listeners before uh, we wrap up with you today? I would just encourage people to think about starting a climate action team. It doesn't take a lot of people. Just a handful of people started working with me here in Buxton and it became um, 10 or 15 people really quickly to try to get uh, curbside recycling here. So, um, the energy that is the positive energy that you can generate, Glenn alluded to that, you know, working on a solution instead of just despairing of the problem is really empowering just personally and community-wide. It's a really satisfying kind of thing to do. Hey, well, thank you very much for joining us today. That's Mary. Thank you for the program. That's Marion Rubin. She's the chair of the Climate Action Team Advisory Committee for the Sierra Club Maine Chapter. And if you're just joining us, this is Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. Joining me for the full hour is the Sierra Club Director, Glenn Brand. And we've been talking with other folks who are involved in different parts of the state working on their climate action teams, or as we've been calling them, the CATs. So, Glenn, we were talking about Paris before we uh, wrap up at the end of the program um, here. We've got about another eight minutes or so left. And also, I should mention, we have a phone line open now. So if anybody's been trying to get through, call back now. The number is 4690500. Again, 4690500 if you have a comment about climate change or a question for my guest. But before we leave the topic of Paris, we were talking about sort of the optimistic view of coming out of Paris what are what about the uh, maybe less optimistic view that regardless of what occurs there, even if uh, a plan comes back to the U.S., that Congress will block anything that Obama tries to agree to? Well, in fact, uh, today, today the the uh, House of Representatives um, uh, voted uh, to um, block the president's foundational plan, the Clean Power Plan. That I referred to earlier, and earlier uh, in, the, uh, in November, actually, late November, there was a, a vote in the U.S. Senate, which also was an attempt, was a resolution to oppose the Clean Power Plan. And I should add that um, uh, Senator King and Senator Collins both voted to, to support the president's Clean Power Plan. Um, so the, there are efforts, you know, realistically, there are efforts to stop progress. Um, there are fossil fuel interests who are not going to go silently in the good night. Um, the vision that we have, that based on the overwhelming consensus of science, that uh, we have to abandon uh, dirty fossil fuel 
uh, energy and transition as orderly and as quickly as possible to 100% clean energy by mid-century if we're going to avoid the worst of, of the impacts of climate disruption. And so um, this is serious business, and I think that people around the world uh, really are looking for this the, the outcome of this Paris conference to move forward. Certainly the, the opinion in the American public has shifted in recent polls, for example, uh, majorities, uh, uh, pluralities and majorities, uh, depending on what se- segment of the co- country you look at, are supportive of uh, understand that climate change is a, uh, is a threat and uh, are, are looking for the, the for addressing the issue. Um, that includes a majority of Republicans, to be clear. Um, so I think there is enough momentum here to get started. Um, there is, is there a chance that, um, that the, the conference will break down, uh, and there'll be some unexpected, um, uh, uh, problem, an obstacle? It's possible, but I don't think so. I think the, the work that has been done to, to prepare for this, to get real commitments from all of the countries involved. We're talking about 194 countries, I think. I'm not sure the exact number now. Nearly 200 countries are, are there, uh, and they're, they're really there to move forward. The, the, only, the only people around the world, really, who think that we shouldn't be doing something about this are really in the U.S. Republican Party. Uh, it's kind of a shocking thing, in fact, and it's a source of great embarrassment for uh, Americans, uh, generally speaking. And um, I think people are ready to to move forward on this. Uh, it will the commitments that are come out of this, including financial commitments, um, will not have to go directly to a Senate vote. Um, there could be if in future treaties, there would be a Senate vote, and we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, I am hopeful, and I'm optimistic that we finally, you know, somebody who's been working on this for for uh, 20 years, um, I have seen us in much worse spots, and I, I'm really encouraged that we're going to get something good here. But I'm also not, um, uh, I'm not kidding myself, it's just a start. Um, but the only way to get there is to start, and I, and I think that's going to happen here in Paris. All right. Well, do you want to give the details of your upcoming uh, conference in Augusta one more time before we wrap up? I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so our main grassroots climate action conference is going to be, this is our second one, it's going to take place on Saturday, December 12th. Uh, it goes um, all day. It's a 10 to 4 uh, event. There will be breakout sessions on all, many of the issues that you that we've been talking about, including by the people who are actually doing that work. And uh, it's a great opportunity to meet with fellow uh, climate activists and people who want to do something on, on this issue where they, where they live. Um, to register for it, it's, uh, you just go to our website, which is sierraclub.org slash Maine. You'll see the information on the Climate Action Team Conference. And we hope to see folks there, and please spread the word. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Amy. That was Glenn Brand, the director of the main chapter of the Sierra Club. And as we're wrapping up today, uh, just uh, there are different numbers coming out of San Bernardino. But if you're just joining us and you haven't heard, there was another mass shooting today. This one in San Bernardino, California. Initial estimates were that there were 12 dead and uh, more than 20 injured. More recent updates have said that there are probably fewer people who have died in that mass shooting, but there's going to be a press conference coming up at 5 o'clock. Unfortunately, Democracy Now!, which you'll be hearing at 5, was taped at 9 o'clock this morning, so it won't be mentioned on there. But uh, there's plenty of news other places regarding that. As we wrap up Main Currents today, I want to thank Glenn Brand for joining us from the Sierra Club, as well as Nancy Chandler, Marty Fox, and uh, Marion Rubin, who were our guests as well, and Joel Mann for engineering today. I want to encourage you to stay tuned for Democracy Now! because even though it's recorded at 9 o'clock, there will still be some great information on there. And after that, we've got Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry, who's in the house getting ready to bring you some great music here on your community radio station. And join us here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock for Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture here on WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99. 
89.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Thanks for listening. Support for WERU comes from Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported, nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape 